Do life's greatest questions seem like a mystery? Well, we're probably going to talk about it here at Appalachian Liturgy. Important questions like, are you a Jedi or an Imperial? Is oatmeal actually a breakfast cereal? Is a Catholic weekday really called a ferial? Did you know that Mr. Rogers was Presbyterial? So join us as we have a little fun talking about thy kingdom come. Okay, welcome everyone to the Appalachian Liturgy Podcast. I am Justin Stacy. I'm Brooke Ashley. And I'm Justin Bowling. And tonight, I guess, is Olympic night. Brooke, Yay! she wanted to to talk something related to the Olympics. We decided that we would do the global church, so representing all the nations, I guess, in the Olympics. But uh, first, let's talk about the Olympics. Brooke, I know you're a huge fan. Yes. Myself, I am not a huge fan. And bowling, I think you maybe are. So, yeah, let's let's start with that. So, like, we look forward to the Olympics so much that we kind of base things around it. Like, we would never take a vacation during the Olympics unless the Olympics were part of the vacation. Like, we would know that we were watching the Olympics. Um, during the Winter Olympics, I lose so much sleep because curling is usually broadcast late at night, and I think that's the greatest thing ever. Um, curling but is just, great I'll, in four-year doses, like once every four years. It's, that's the perfect amount of curling. Yes, it's the perfect amount of curling. But um, I just, I love, like, I've watched almost every minute of the opening ceremonies. Like, there's just something about watching all of the 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 nations marching in under their flags and assembling together and you've got countries that have been at war that are you know sitting next to each other or at least in the same room um the stories behind the olympics i mean i love the fact that there are people who go out there and give it their all and know that the chance of them even getting a medal is slim to none but they still want to participate like i love everything about it yeah, well, for me, I love the stories that when you're watching it and they start telling these people's background, you're like, oh my gosh, this is like an amazing personal story. And it's just like that after one after another type thing. No, and, no. And I love like the costumes that people wear when they're, they're coming in for the parade of nations. I mean, it's just, oh, I don't know. And I love learning about the culture of wherever the Olympics are happening at the time and all of the symbolism behind you know, the way they do the medals and the, the medal ceremonies and how they present the medals. I mean, there's so much behind it all. Plus, then you just have the sports. I mean. And it's so patriotic. Too. I love like I feel like there's the Fourth of July and most patriotic holiday. And then like very slightly below that's where the Olympics are. Because yes. it's Team America all the way when it comes to Olympic time. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. We got to we got to win the most. Right. Medals. So, Stacy, do you just I mean, like. There's nothing about the Olympics that you like? No, I wouldn't say that. And I would say that the reason, one of the reasons why I don't necessarily like the Olympics is most all the sports that are played in the Olympics, I just don't care about. Okay, okay. You know, I don't care about swimming. (laughs) I (gasps) I don't care about anything like that. I do, like, for example, I have been following the basketball part of the Olympics. And it's, you know, I like, I like basketball somewhat and, I, I'm definitely pulling for Team USA. I, my second place just just got booted out. That was Slovenia. Slovenia. I like Luka, <laughs> I, I like Luka, Luka Doncic uh, quite a bit. So I was kind of pulling for him as well. But you know, so I think it, it is more so. I just don't care about the sports that they play. 
other than the major ones that that you know are in our identity our american identity i guess but i will say that this goes this probably goes back to my childhood where my mom i, I think my mom my grandma both probably both both my grandmothers my aunt they all complained when it was the olympics because it was always taking off the daytime uh, soap opera. <laughs> Their stories. Yes, Their exactly. Story they were always complaining. They hated it. And I always heard that. And, you know, I wasn't watching it then either, but I heard that. And it was like, you know, in the back of my mind, I, I have no reason to watch this because this is a negative thing. Like This is taking off our See, our days of our lives. Is what yeah, this is doing. In my family, it was opposite. I mean, even growing up, the Olympics were a huge deal. We would have yeah. family Olympic competitions and we had this huge family. I mean, my grandfather would even like make medals. And so one year, my sister and I decided that we were going to try our hand at synchronized swimming, or they call it, call it artistic swimming now. And let me just tell you, that is hard stuff. Um, but we like put this whole routine together and premiered it for our family at my, my grandparents' pool. And so there are a couple sports that I don't really care much about. Um, handball, I don't really understand handball, like <laughs> handball looks like to me something just some youth director has needed to fill time one Sunday night with their youth and it's just like <laughs> mushed all of the sports together and so you have like elements of all these sports so I need to learn the rules about that but the swimming like I can't believe you don't like the swimming I know Aaron and I scream and yell at the tv like he was asleep <laughs> and there was a uh, I think it was a one of the relays and I'm like on my knees in our bed at like 1130, like silent screaming at the TV because it was so great. So like the 1500, I think this was the first year they had ran that one. We were yes, watching that one. The they took it this so long. They took a commercial break in the middle of the event that the thing was so long. How do you yeah. stand for that long? <laughs> now I love the, the cycling in the palindrome. Okay. Stacey, if you have not seen that, you have to look up the cycling. It's not the road cycling. It's the, the palindrome. And it is crazy fast and all this strategy. And it's just really cool to watch. And they have the martial arts. I have no earthly idea what's going on. The rock climbing. I don't know all the rules or what makes something happen. But like, I think the spectacle of the oddity of the sports is also part of the appeal. Because yeah. you don't see this stuff anywhere else. And then you find out, oh, there's actually like this niche group of people who practice this all the time and have been preparing for years for this moment type thing like badminton cool. yeah i mean <laughs> there's some awesome badminton, badminton that you see in the olympics is not the badminton that we all played in pe in school yeah where's everybody yelling at each other and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah or ping pong table tennis you know i mean yeah in I, mean, defense, I will say this year i've watched it probably less than i have and i don't know if it's because well i think there's a couple reasons one is I haven't, I just haven't like manual, mentally figured out the time zone difference. I don't know when something's live, when something is, I know the result of, I don't know if it's like the internet part to where like, I'll get a notification earlier in the day that says, you know, uh, I, I, like an example was Simone Biles finishes third with bronze and that hadn't came on TV. Yet. I didn't want right. to see that. So why, why do I want to watch it now that I already know what happened? Yeah. That, that's, that's been an unfortunate thing about like all of the basketball games. I haven't really got to watch them. I mean, I can watch them now, but it's after I already know the result. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. have been part of hashtag team no sleep for the U.S. women's <laughs> national team. And um, I haven't necessarily been getting up like today's match was at 4 a.m. And I didn't get up at 4 a.m. 
but I got up early enough so that I could watch the match before I had to do anything else productive. So it was still pretty early, but I have to completely stay off any kind of social media or any of my news things. And um, so that's, that has been an issue. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, rugby, holy crap. I mean, those guys are crazy. <laughs> I'll take my pads, please. When I get yeah, back. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a very dangerous sport. Well, and I, I, I think love ultimately... the fact that there are sports that are super popular in other countries that, mm-hmm. like, we don't know anything about. Yeah, you know, like handball and those that aren't mainstream here, but you know, they have a huge following other places and. I mean, even things like uh, women's volleyball and beach volleyball, like there are professional leagues in other countries where our U.S. players are going and making a living playing Mm -hmm. this sport, whereas, you know, I just don't know that here in America people are going to pay to go watch volleyball. Like, I mean, I love volleyball to play it, and it's fun to watch, but I don't know that I'm going to have a rooting interest. Right. Uh, not not I, to say anything bad about volleyball, but right, uh, it is interesting how uh, nations kind of form a, a sport identity to where this is. You know, when you think of America, you think of American football, you think of baseball, you know, basketball. But you know, I would say that soccer would even be a lesser category in America, even though it is it's popular growing fast, here. Though. It's growing fast, yeah. But in in Europe, my goodness, like that is that the the their Super Bowls is in in football, you know. So um, it it is really really interesting that part of it. And I think ultimately it's just because I haven't given the Olympics a chance that I probably you know maybe I should. <laughs> so maybe next year I will. Um, but I don't know. You got to wait four years, or actually next just year. That's right. It's just next one year for the winner. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Winter Olympics, I mean, I love them, but I I have to do a lot more research on some of the sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for the Summer Olympics, too. That's my favorite. Yeah, although I have noticed that I have been less interested in the track and field this year. No, Usain Bolt, though. That's what it has to be, right? Do what? No, Usain Bolt. That's what it has to be, right? Well, you know, and, and I started really questioning because... I used to run track like at a high level. Like I used to travel all over the place running. And um, so it was a big deal. And here's what I think it is. I don't see the com- I don't see the camaraderie and the team spirit in American track as I do in things like American swimming. And okay. in the swimming, I mean, you saw Ledecky be like super pumped because the girl she's been mentoring beat her right like Katie Ledecky was so excited for her men, for her mentee and you just you don't see that in the track and field events as much or at least we don't see it in America um so I don't know I don't know if that's what it is or what it is but I just I just haven't been into the track and field as much um interesting all right I guess let's transition over to what the actual topic is for the night, which is the global church. So I guess where, where do you all want to start with that? Well, I think this was kind of my idea. (laughs) And um, when I was thinking about it, I, I just, you know, in talking to folks, especially in our region, in the Appalachian region, we sometimes forget that Christianity is a worldwide religion that like 
the United States does not have the end all say about Christianity. And we forget that Christianity is practiced across the world and it looks a little different. You know, there have been some cultural appropriations, just like we have appropriated things for our culture. And it's so easy to mesh Christianity with patriotism. And we've talked about that before. Um, Talked about how the Jesus is hanging in our churches look like Americans, you know, I mean, it's just so, so watching the Olympics, I think is a great time to remember that people across the world follow Jesus Christ. Um, that it is just not Americanized kind of thing. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to ask too, is like, is there good things we can take from how we treat the Olympics that we should see more of in our church? And is there, you know, maybe things that we shouldn't treat church the same way we do the Olympics? And I think that you're answering the second question for sure. And that like, we shouldn't, uh, I think the phrase I've heard used a lot is like, we should think of ourselves more as the church in America rather than the American church. And that's a big difference because like, we're not, our own we're not going you know team church um, church, team american church or whatever you know Mm -hmm. we should be saying like looking as it more of a universal global church like you said so like that part of rooting for your team shouldn't apply but it probably does more so than it 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 should but is there anything we should take from that you know the the other end of it like is there anything good that we can take into church that we see in the olympics that you know we can learn from i I think just realizing that the church is global it's in most every nation and we aren't the only part of the church you know the american church isn't the church it's just a a limb of it you know Mm -hmm. so i think taking the olympics as the example realizing that there are other teams and we are really all in the same boat we 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 are we are fighting the same fight we are competing the same same game Mm -hmm. Trying to follow, and we're not we're not even context. competing. We're not even competing. Uh, I guess that's we shouldn't look at it as a competition. But yeah, we are all trying to follow Christ, and yeah, it the church does take, I guess, its identity and 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 its flavors after the nations that it's in, the cultures that it mm-hmm. is brought up in. But yeah, we should definitely see that there we are a part of a global church. Well, I even think about worship services. I mean, worship services look different in different cultural contexts. I mean, the music's different. The way you go about worship is different. I mean, I mean, I don't know if y'all know this, but man, if your worship service is a minute over 60 minutes, the pastor's going to hear about it or the priest is probably going to hear about it, right? Like, it, it, I don't care if it's 60 minutes and 30 seconds, you went over. Um, if you've been part of an African worship service or an Asian worship service, I mean, it don't matter what time it is. <laughs> they worship till they're done. Yeah. And it can be two and three hours sometimes and nobody thinks anything about it. Um, and it's just, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about denominational differences, but, you know, go and and I haven't got to experience this but I have a lot of friends who have you know offerings look different when you're in different places um you know if you go to church at 
in Africa, we've got a lot of Methodist churches in Africa, you know, you're very likely to see live animals <laughs> as part of that, those offerings, you know, I mean, it's just, so it, it's just different. And two, I mean, you hear stories about where Western missionaries and Western by meaning North American, Western culture missionaries going and like forcing folks in different cultures to dress like Americans to come to worship or building churches like you would here in the United States, you know, without thought of what that meant for the culture or what that looked like, you know, and, and we got a bad rap. We were trying to do a good thing, right. But we really forgot about uh, the fact that Christianity was worldwide and not just Americanized. Um, so there's some really bad yucky things that came out of that. So I have a, I have a funny story since you brought up denominational differences uh -huh. this past weekend, I got my mom to attend a church with me at St. Thomas and it was great. Like she, she was surprised at some of the things that, you know, it's an hour and a half service. That's usually the length of, of the service. She was surprised at some of the things that went on because she wasn't familiar with it. Like she, she wasn't familiar with the Eucharist, celebration ceremony like at the end with you know because really the the biggest portion of the service is probably towards the eucharist right mm -hmm. so she she thought that was awesome that that was the case but she said that the one thing that she didn't really like was that there was no sermon and that's the way she worded it there was no sermon and i was like yeah there was i was like is in the middle and you know father Boyd talked about masks and he was referencing a Old testament with uh, I think Second Samuel was the the verses for the day, and I was like, he was referencing all that, and I was like, he, she's like, but yeah, it was like, she's like, it was ten minutes top. She's like, that's not a sermon. And I'm like, <laughs> so you know, it really, and that's a denominational difference, right? Because she's used to the majority of the church service being the sermon. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that I thought that was kind of funny, and you know, I think that that would be the case if we went to a, a church service in another country. I think for the most part, now bowling with like Catholic mass, like don't isn't part of the the idea is to try to keep it as close to the same as possible in in different countries, or is there different flavors? I know there's like the Latin mass, and then there's um, English yep. and what whatever, but. The idea is to keep it as close to the same as possible, right? So that you you feel like you're that's one in of the worship ideas, with everyone yeah. of the you know pre nineteen sixties traditional Latin mass. The idea was that you, the same you are celebrating the same thing as everybody else across uh, the world to emphasize the universalness of the church. And there's obviously a lot to say for that, and a lot of good things to say for that. But since then, like since the uh, vernacular languages are used in more masses and there's a lot to say for that as well the a lot of the emphasis is on a certain strand of things shared so like the same readings the same uh overall structure of the mass but like the songs and like brooke is saying the flavor of the way something is celebrated will be very different in kenya as in here and that's an example i use because we've had some kenyan priests that were here at uh, the rectory and that they said exactly as much. I remember one getting up when he was about ready to leave. Uh, he was telling us his goodbyes and, you know, saying something. He's like, and, you know, clap a little bit more, you know, be a little bit more active. <laughs> because that's what he, he was saying. That's what he was used to. That's what people had done. And he's like, you, you know, you're too, you're too stiff, you know, loosen up a little bit. <laughs>
But yeah, I, I yeah. like what uh, Brooke was saying too with on a couple things. I feel like the first thing we, we think of lots of times, unfortunately, is when we think of the global church, people's minds immediately go to missionary work. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we sometimes forget that there's, you know, established Christianity in other places. And there's a lot that we probably can and should learn from them. Because mm-hmm. like you said as well, Brooke, we've appropriated a lot of stuff in our own culture. And it's, sometimes it's hard to see because we're so engrossed in that culture. And we don't see some of the things that, you know, we might be doing wrong that we just don't see because everybody's doing the same thing. But if we look in other cultures that don't have the same type of, if we look at Christians in other cultures that don't have those same assumptions, we can learn a whole lot from them. Like the Corinthian church had its own set of problems that, you know, the uh, church in Ephesus did not have, and they could learn a lot from them. We should be doing the same thing now as they were then. So, yeah. And, and like you said too, Justin, I don't even think it's wrong to compare it necessarily to an event. Uh, Paul compared it, uh, you know, running a race, lots of things about our Christianity to sports events, but we're not competing against these other countries. We're all competing together on the same team. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think, you know, with the missionary work, I think the thought process behind that, and, and I mean, of course, I didn't live through that period of time, but studying it was that we were taking God, you know, as American Christians, we were yeah. taking God into these places and that's a really dangerous thought. One, it's just, you know, full of hubris, but two, I mean, the, the, the flip side would then be true. When we left, we were taking God with us back. Right. But I really do think that is that egocentric kind of idea of we're a Christian based society so wherever we go, Christianity has to look like it does here, you know. Um, so that's yeah. I think one of the dangers, well, the probably the biggest danger with seeing ourselves as the church, the the only part of the church, we have God on our side. We're taking mm-hmm. it to these other countries. Is that it doesn't take very much to where we are now wielding the sword in right. that name, and we've done it throughout history. So, you know, we don't need to go back there. When you, when you start aligning God and the church with your power structure, whatever entity it is, you know, in this case would be a nation, it, it's very dangerous to do that. I think it helps us sometimes put things in perspective, too. Like, uh, we, we talk a lot in this country about, like, religious liberty, and I think there's, like, a lot of good things we can talk about there and a lot of things worth fighting for there too but i think it's dangerous to start thinking of ourselves as like ultimately persecuted when you can look across the globe and see christians who are struggling to you know live day to day in certain events and these are christians as well that i mean and and that just because somebody's persecuted worse than somebody else doesn't mean that the the lesser one isn't persecuted at all but at the same time we can be kind of grateful that we're having the these types of fights on such a more scaled down level. than Yeah. I think this really came home to me. For me, we have a friend who is from the Congo and um, he was a United Methodist missionary for many, many years. So not only were we friends before, but then we were colleagues, but he tells a story about watching his father be murdered because his father was a Christian you know, and so when he hears us talk about being persecuted because a pastor can't lead a prayer at a football game, it's incredibly offensive to him. 
yeah. you know, he's like that and, and he's an American citizen now. And, you know, and he's like that, that is not persecution. Persecution is, is watching your father be murdered while you get the rest of your family to safety because you follow Jesus Christ, you know? Um, so I just, it, yeah, it's different. And, and you're right bowling in that you have to be careful to say that it's not persecution if it doesn't rise to the level of murder or whatever um you know but but there's perspective there too yeah understand what other people are going through too and not to uh take for granted what you do have Mm -hmm. i think it's important to to look at what's going on in other countries in terms of religious freedom and liberty and realize how privileged we are and have been to be Christians in this nation. And I think it humbles us, you know, look at what, what happens, what's been happening in China for the longest time. You know, they, I think the latest that I've read is that basically only churches that basically pledge their allegiance to the government or something, they're the only ones that are allowed to, to thrive yeah, or to, to, to have remain like open. Official licenses from yeah. Yeah. And, and every, everyone else is basically shut down and they're forced underground. Uh, look at Japan. I mean, uh, you know, the Olympics is in Tokyo right now, so we might we, we probably should talk about Japan. <laughs> For the past, you know, three, four hundred years since the 17th century. Well, I mean, that's when missionaries that's when it started. No, they, they're not doing that anymore. But <laughs> right, right, right. That's what happened. Exactly. It, actually, the ban on Christianity was lifted in 1873. So, yeah, it's it's been for, for a good while, you know, it's been free and open. But before, I mean, watch the movie Silence. You know, that's about Jesuit priests that go to uh, Japan to evangelize and really to start up Christianity. And like the, the amount of torture and the persecution that they had to go through and that the people that were following them had to go through, it's crazy. And ultimately, it led to two of them renouncing their faith, which I think is a topic in of itself. And so I, I guess let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. The, the renouncing of faith in Japan, like, do you think that that ultimately is what saved Christianity or did it hinder it from be from ever succeeding? So right now, 1% of the Japanese population is, is Christian. So that's a, a little over a million, but that's way up from what it was. Right. So when they done, like when they started banning and doing all of the persecution stuff, I think it had got up to 500,000 is what I'd read. And then it dwindled down to 20,000 because they were stamping it out the government was so it in the in in a silence movie it seems to i guess hint at the the jesuit priests didn't really renounce their faith they did publicly so that they could stay in japan but then basically christianity just went underground and it kept a flavor it it looks you know it, it doesn't look a lot like the Christianity of Rome or anything like that, it has its own flavor. It look, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, Buddhist practices in it, but what do y'all think about that? Like, do you think that if, if 
would ha- it have been more productive or effective to have just been martyrs versus renouncing your faith and in hopes to keep it alive? I think unquestionably it would have been more effective, but it would be, I, I can absolutely see unquestionably how that's way harder too. Like, I mean, when you compare, like you said, compare Japan's Christian population to any other similar you know, Eastern Asian country, the percentages are not even close. Yeah. The percentages in Japan are way less than even China, where have, there's been constant persecution for decades. It, it seems that the effect was, was obvious, that it wasn't <laughs> a productive uh, long-term goal. I understand how it would be tempting in the context of the, uh, the silence uh, <laughs> movie and book. And from my understanding, like the author of the book has openly said, I know maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but my understanding is that he said that he meant for it to be an open question. Like it wasn't like, yeah. he wasn't trying to comment one way or the other. And I think in the yep. movie, it's a little bit more. It's more directed. obvious. Like Scorsese yeah. was, uh, 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 when, when, when he made the movie, he wanted it to seem like he thought the, that the, the missionary made the right decision of renouncing his faith to try to save mm-hmm. his um, uh, parish. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a tough situation. It's a sad situation, for sure. It's a yeah. terribly sad situation. But I, I have a hard time seeing how, like, as Paul would say, you can't you can't do evil that good may come from it. And, right. Yeah, so. if, you, if you believe that renouncing your faith is sinful, then you don't ever do sin to get something good. And I think that's what Paul was talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know, and not having been there, it's hard to say right. what was the right thing to do. I mean, so, you know, there would be lots of questions that I would have, like how immature were, were the believers? Like, because if you have real immature believers and you don't have anybody else to come along and lead that, then martyring may have killed it out. I mean, I, I don't, and I'm not seeing the movie, so I don't know. It's but, a good movie. It's y'all, a hard thing y'all, for y'all me should to, watch it. Yeah, I know. Aaron probably has, and he'll say that I have, but I probably really wasn't paying attention while I was playing. But <laughs> you fell asleep. <laughs> let's be honest. But, you know, I mean, I think it's hard. I, I think I would have a hard time renouncing my faith. Um, and I wonder, you know, what, ha- you know, you talked about the faith having some really Buddhist kind of flavors mm-hmm. to it. And, um, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of gray there i don't know i mean you see in places like china where the the church is on fire Mm -hmm. i mean growing by leaps and bounds even under real harsh persecution um and i think that's a perfect example like because it's the persecuted underground church that's on fire in china not the church that's you know following the uh you know bowing to the state to right (laughs) yeah yeah and, you know, I, I've often thought that we make it too easy in America to, quote, be Christian, mm-hmm. you know, that that it's a little too easy. And people wonder, well, what's the big deal then, you know, if it's that easy? I mean, I if think you don't think you need God. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not in a situation where you feel like you need God, you feel like you have yeah. everything like we are and we are blessed to be, but it's the other side of it is, yeah, we feel like we have everything under control and we don't need any. And I think historically you can look at when the church is the most persecuted is when it's on fire and when it's spreading like crazy. Mm-hmm. So 
there is something there with being persecuted and, and it may be just taking up your cross and being the example of Christ. Like that may be what it requires to continue spreading the gospel. So yeah, I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up. I, I, I didn't want the entire podcast to be about that question. It's just, <laughs> I thought that was interesting to bring up and it's an interesting movie as well. <laughs> so thinking about the global church, I had an experience during missionary service training that probably changed forever the way that I saw the global church. And it was so to be United Methodist missionary, there's lots of steps that you have to take. But one of those is a almost four week kind of training. You're removed from your home context and you are just with other people who are going to be serving across the, the world. And you do lots of uh, worship services, but you also do just lots of like learning how to think outside of yourself, right? Like trying to identify things that you have in your own life that you can see past so that I don't take my culture in and only see problems through, through those lenses, but you get kind of close to these folks because you're all getting ready to pick up and move. And, you know, you're just sharing life. And one of the last nights there, we had uh, eaten supper and we were sitting around and it was a little chilly. It was an upper uh, upstate New York. And uh, somebody had built a fire and we were sitting around and we started singing how great is our God, you know, and all of a sudden there were about eight different languages singing the same praise song. Well, that's and not you only want, global like, church across the world. That feels like you're back at Pentecost across time. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was like, like even now it's chill worthy awesome. for me to even go back to that period of time and, and think about that. But I was sitting there thinking, you know, I can't understand them. They, they could all speak English, but I couldn't understand. But, but we were all singing the same praises to the same God and getting ready to modelly sacrifice for the same Jesus, you know, and that for me forever changed the way that I look at the global church. And that group of folks were scattered all across the country. I have friends in Japan and Africa and all these different places that are going out in the name of Jesus, doing similar work that I was doing in a totally different way. Um, and it's just, it, it's, it's a real thing for me to experience the, the global church and something that I wish that more people um, in the United States could do. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty awesome experience like i mean and that's probably the most concrete you know like like you said view of the global church you can see the regathering you know of like all the scattered tribes you know bringing stuff back together into one family of god yeah. you know like the re you know, we had the diffusion at babel and had people coming back together into the church that's 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 beautiful i love that yeah speaking of, speaking of babel did you see that ken ham and the creation museum thing they're they're supposed to recreate the tower of babel now like that's really? the new project yeah there's no way i don't believe you i don't believe you i got it from <laughs> i got it from the holy post so you can fact check me but i got it from the holy post and yes it, they're supposed to recreate the tower of babel <laughs> whatever but, yeah uh, <sighs> I, but I, th I do think it's you know the most important thing to to take from this I guess, entire discussion in the Olympics and everything is we need to get out of the habit of viewing 
the church as Americans, as the American church. Right. You know, and, and I'm sure that other nations, other countries have this problem too. You know, you have the Greek, you have Greek Orthodox. It's it right in the name of the religion. I'm sure there's some national identities there with Russian Orthodox. There's some national identities there and they probably struggle with same, some similar issues. But for us, you know, we are so politicized mm -hmm. that everything political is now in the church and we see it as one thing. We see it as the American church and all of the politics have to be in it. And we just need to get out of the habit of doing that. We need to, to realize that the church is global. We also need to, I think it would help in viewing, uh, you know, things like refugees, bringing in refugees to help them. If we start seeing them as, Hey, we're actually helping brothers and sisters in Christ here. Like the, there's going to be Christians in these refugees. I think that that helps tear down the walls. Instead of building the walls in the American church, we need to tear down the walls and start seeing other nations, other countries, the world as one big kingdom, one big church. And when we do that, I think we can be more faithful as a Christian and in our walk with Christ. Yeah, I love the fact that the goal at the Olympics is really to do your best, you know? I mean, that's the goal of every, every athlete and very few of those athletes are gonna go home with a medal, right? Yeah. Very few, but they're all there sharing the experience and doing their best. And I really think as Christians, that's our goal too, um, is to do our best. The other analogy that I'll pull from sports is that as people get better at the sport, everybody else gets better too. You know, mm -hmm. it's the whole, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So you usually have one person or a couple athletes who push the envelope. Well, by the next four years going around, everybody's doing that skill or they're running the race that fast, or they're using a different equipment. And all of a sudden, everybody's a little bit better because of that. They, and, uh they literally use the iron sharpens iron in an interview on the track and field. Mm. They're yes. with two Americans running together. It's like, is this a case of iron sharpens iron? It's like, hey, yeah. hey, that's from Proverbs. Yeah. I think that was the hurdles or something, but, yep. um, but yeah, I mean, so, so there are lessons to be learned every, every time I watch the Olympics, there are things that I learn about my faith or other people's faith that changes my my view on things um so yeah i think that that's really important in sports in general not just olympics but sports in general is that when you have two really good teams or two really good players competing against each other they are actually improving each other's abilities mm -hmm. in that it's probably one of the reasons why i've always hated tom brady and the patriots is because it's because one of many one of the many reasons but I always felt that, you know, the, the, the competition was always heavy between them and Peyton Manning and the Colts or Peyton Manning and the Broncos, it, Peyton Manning in general, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that was uh, always been my favorite NFL player of all time. So I was always on team Peyton. And so I hated the Patriots and I hated Tom Brady, but looking back at it, and I actually don't despise Tom Brady as much as I did now, uh, before. Uh, but I think that, he and the Patriots 
helped Peyton be a better player. If it wasn't for them, I you know, had he got to the level that he was, I don't know. Like, yeah, they beat him the majority of the time, but he he needed that. And I think we all need that. We all need some level of competition, really, to succeed, to be our, the best self and the best Christian that we can be. We need somebody to encourage us. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be competing with who has the most faith, but yeah. Right. <laughs> and, but I think uh, basketball is another great example of that. You know, like the competition in basketball is much more even across the globe. I mean, obviously the U.S. has a huge advantage, but they're, the final game that's coming up against France is not a sure thing. They, the games have been much closer than they used to be. And there's plenty of NBA players now that come from European leagues. And that's not an oddity or come from European countries that get drafted in the NBA draft. That's common. Yeah. That did not used to happen. Yeah. I think there's like two or three NBA players on team France. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You can definitely tell, you know, I think back with the whole Simone Biles thing in the women's gymnastics this, this year, you know, she was out there even though she couldn't compete she was out there encouraging even the people who would have been considered her biggest competitors Mm -hmm. and even when she was back she was still cheering all of us on i mean i was really just really proud of our american gymnasts cheering on even their harshest competitors um so that everybody did the best that they could do because their best didn't necessarily mean you were worse. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I mean, so I think we forget that in the church. I think churches as a whole forget that when mm-hmm. one church down the street is doing something really good and they want to compete against that. And, um, you know, we need to be encouragers of one another in, in, in all that we do. Amen. All right, Brooke, this was a really, really interesting conversation. I, and I was, I, I was, you'll go back and watch some Olympics. Like, yeah, I probably should. What, how many days do we have too. left? Watch Just a couple. <laughs> yeah, I probably should, but don't watch handball though. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. Peace be to you and have a good night. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really hope you got some enjoyment out of the podcast this week. Remember to check out our website, www.appalachianenergy.com, and follow us on all of our social medias. If you want an easy way to support us, though, make sure to subscribe to our channels and like our videos on YouTube. Also, join our email list for updates and let us know how we're doing. See you next week, everyone. Appalachian Liturgy Podcast is a JRS Studios production.